We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Emerging youngsters and team situations. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch from my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his work at Rotovision. Sean, we couldn't really come up with a great title for this episode, but I really wanted to talk about Romeo Dobbs, who you mentioned a couple times towards the end of our first episode this week. In the first episode, for anyone who hasn't caught it, we talked about some of the offenses we tend to refer to as the have-nots. We've been talking about this con- concept of the haves and have-nots. For a couple of years now and how there's this widening gap and here we are in a season where that's become very very obvious talked about some of those bad offenses there's some exciting offenses maybe some other ones that don't look great that we want to hit on as well some young players that are fun to talk about Dobbs probably tops on that list after week three his his star got a lot brighter well he was the the focal point of a lot of our bold predictions coming into the season and so to have him look that good in week three was fun. The first two weeks, you can kind of see it, and you can kind of see the frustration that Aaron Rodgers is having with the young guys. And then this game, Simi Watkins not able to play. His, his peer and compatriot there, Christian Watson, not able to play. And you're thinking, well, if it's going to happen early, I mean, it could, it could happen at any time. But if it's going to happen early, this is a great spot for it. The Packers are in a game where it's going to be hard to move the ball against this elite Tampa Bay defense. It's a game that the Packers need to win after they've struggled against the Bucs recently. It's a game that could have a lot of repercussions for seeding in the NFC. You can't just pout your way through this one. you got to get out there and compete. And you know the Buccaneers are going to look to take away A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones, which they more or less did. And, I mean... You would love, love to see even more after that first drive, but for Dobbs to come out and dominate early, to be the featured receiver in this offense, and to again look good in so many ways. I think that's one of the underrated elements of his performance in the preseason is that, yeah, I mean, it's against backup players in many cases. It's with the backup quarterback, but he's winning on a wide variety of routes and depths And yeah, I mean, he dropped a few passes, but the athleticism that people didn't buy when he was a small school, older prospect in college, but did flash on some of the GPS track types of things, it's been very evident both in training camp, in preseason, and now here in week three, when teams talk up their own guy, you know, there's a lot of bias there. Aaron Rodgers, even as he was acting very frustrated with some of the specifics was saying Dobbs looks like one of our guys who in the past, these guys have been stars. I mean, one of the things that just, you look at Jordy Nelson, you look at Devonta Adams, like, I mean, if it's going to be a star in, in your three, <laughs> then especially somebody who was, you know, a middle to late round reality pick, that's not someone you want to prioritize in fantasy. I mean, you're years away from that player being relevant. Dobbs was relevant in week three. This is pretty exciting. It was very exciting. Obviously, right there with you and all the stuff for anyone who followed my stuff in the offseason. I was way, way too excited about Dobbs, probably. It was very cool to see. It was cool to see him uh, used early. Three catches, 37 yards, and a TD on the first drive. 
runs 94% of the routes throughout the game, though. He gets eight more, or excuse me, five more targets to get to eight total and, and catches all eight for 73 in the TD. Couple sort of potential causes for concern, if you will. One is, or, or I, I think they're interesting notes. One is that he only had 25 air yards on those eight targets. 3.1 average depth of target, very low. The reason that's sort of actually potentially positive is the whole idea of the way Devontae Adams was used at times. Some of these quick passes, they were getting so little out of their passing game over the first couple of games. A lot of what Dobbs was getting was these first read things. It, the, the low ADOT wasn't even necessarily because it was like a bubble screen or something. It was like a quick slant where he wins so quickly and Rodgers is so good at getting the ball to his receiver so quickly when that player wins. The ball's getting to him, you know, three, four, five yards down the field with room to run on a route that another receiver, another quarterback, another situation, it might actually be an eight-yard, eight-dot play. Dobbs is catching it closer and running for more yards, which was – some of that stuff was really exciting to see. It looked a lot like Adams, and you even had LaFleur talking in the postgame press conference about, like, not wanting to make that comparison, but people were – people were asking No, let's make it. Let's make – yeah, people are asking him to make that comparison. So, you know – You'd like to see him get some downfield shots, but it's obviously not a bad thing that he gets eight targets in this shallow range, and a lot of it's his first read stuff. And it's you know he's their guy at that point. That's getting the ball. That's that's doing the things. Alan Lazard out there for eighty nine percent of the routes gets six targets, catches a touchdown. But we're getting more and more information that Alan Lazard is probably not gonna have that role. That that I I to be fair said many times was possible. I thought for him if he took over these types of plays in this offense, but that it was also possible for Dobbs and somebody was going to need to earn Aaron Rodgers trust. And it was going to be good for them. And it looks like Dobbs has already earned it in week three, which is really exciting. But the, the other sort of cause for concern or point of note or something that I really want to get your thoughts on, he runs around on 94% of the dropbacks Dobbs, which is great, but it's also relevant in that Sammy Watkins and Christian Watson are both out of this game. They're going to continue to still try to incorporate Christian Watson for sure. Sammy Watkins was coming off a game in week two where he was their most productive receiver. Lazard was active for that game, didn't do a whole lot. Seemed to be still favoring his his bum ankle, but Watkins gets free for a couple of downfield plays and has a couple of moments for the Packers in week two that were relevant. They didn't throw a lot in that game. That's the game they beat the Bears pretty comfortably. They didn't throw a lot in this game either. Is there any concern? I mean, I I guess I think that 94% of routes is almost certainly going to come down. That him at 94 and Lazard at 89 was a result of them being so thin. Cobb not even 100%, and Watkins and, and Watson, who were both guys that mixed in a lot in weeks one and two, just not even being on the, you know, active on, on the roster for the week. When they get all five of these guys back and healthy, they're going to do more rotational stuff, which makes it tough for him to get back to the 94%. I guess my hope is that he could still be an 80% route guy now that he has this game and that they'll actually put him near the top of that rotation and sort of phase Watson out a little bit, at least for the short term, to see what Dobbs can give them and then maybe see what Watson gives them as well. But they're going to play Watkins. And so it's a question of, you know, how how much do you think he plays is, is my concern once they're healthy. It's interesting that you say that. And, and in part because sometimes talking with other people as opposed to just spending all the time in your own head <laughs> gives you some context for some things that might happen. Because my first thought is that Sammy Watkins now is someone we don't really have to worry too much about in this offense because he's been washed up for five years. And, but it's, but it is key. Like you say that if you have a chance to play the full game, get the full route share, then you need to execute on it to demonstrate that you deserve it and that you need to be the person when those guys come back, who's still the focal point. And I feel like he's done that to an extent. You mentioned these underneath targets. I love that because I think that sometimes we can get too concerned with the air yards or the target depth and not see how it is a positive as well. Now, if you have a bad coaching environment and you get caught in the Rondell Moore situation like last year, that's not what you're looking for. But for all of the reasons that you mentioned, this gives me optimism that Dobbs gets all of those targets that, and when I say all, it gets a, a very good number of targets to kind of round out the profile and to give you the floor that you need. Because if a guy is just on the previous show, we talked about Elijah Moore and how his air yard profile is actually still fantastic, but just, especially if you have a maybe inconsistent quarterback play, 
the person is a difficult weekly start if they're going to have to catch some of those long passes in order to score at all. Whereas Dobbs is now in this underneath role that those manufactured touches, if you even want to call them that, give you the floor. And then when you hit on the touchdowns and when you hit on the deep plays, and we've already seen him get open deep in this offense. Yeah. You know, as we go through preseason, he was doing it constantly in the preseason. Right. And his overall profile suggests that that maybe is more of the emphasis. So we don't want to get out there. I mean, obviously we do, I'm, I'm doing it, but we don't want to get out there and start calling Romeo Dobbs the next Stefan Diggs, but. Well, that was clear in the preseason. So what, what I, what I. The I, issue I, with Diggs when he struggled was that the Vikings would go only short or only long. He, I mean, he had the most schizophrenic two seasons back to back where they thought he was a completely different type of player. And, you know, as people who follow the analytics and listen to the show, know, I mean, that's pretty unusual. Right. And then he goes to the bills and he gets to do both things. And you're like, Oh, Stefan Diggs is Antonio Brown. This is the best thing in football. I mean, Romeo Dobbs is not going to be Antonio Brown and Stephon Diggs in 2022, but these underneath targets are a key part of the profile that I feel like was less guaranteed than maybe the the normal intermediate targets and the deep targets that I just, those are coming. So, I mean, this is perfect. This is the most optimistic I could feel about it in terms of the targets I actually wanted to see him get. Yeah. And this is, it's so funny because this is such a, a perfect contrast of our personalities that uh, the listeners, I think, will have picked up on now by by how many shows we've done together. But you're you're the eternal optimist, and that's why I love chatting with you because I'm the, kind of the consummate cynic and always sort of worrying about the the other side. It's it, it's been funny for me to see everyone be so excited on Dobbs now because it, there was there was optimism in August and his ADP rose really high, especially in main event stuff. I felt like for most of the offseason, especially the early like preseason, I, I wanted to to get really really high on this guy. That I don't know, I was ahead of the market, if you will, on, on that. And now I feel like the market is like this guy's the new Devonte Adams, and I'm like, well. Let's temper our expectations a little bit, which is maybe Just like throw a weird... Stefan Diggs name in there instead. It's, it's... That'll temper your expectations. But it is funny because I think one of the criticisms that's levied on us sometimes, Sean, is that we are a little too biased for the guys we like. And I was seeing things through rose colored glasses. I will say, and Dobbs, I, I think there is a concern. Like, listen to these wrap per drop back numbers from the Packers receivers in weeks one and two. Week one, Christian Watson, 69%. Sammy Watkins, 67 Randall Cobb, 64 Romeo Dobbs, 60. Alan Lazard doesn't play. They're all within 60 to 70% of the dropbacks. Week two, Lazard's in, 90%. Sammy Watkins, 62. Randall Cobb, 41. Dobbs was at 45. Watson was down at 24 in week two. So he fell off a little bit in week two. They really kind of limited him relative to him being actually the highest route share in week one had the key drop in week one, some of the things that went wrong for the Packers passing game in week one. But Dobbs went from 60% in week one down to 45%. Then in week three, we have no Watson, no Watkins, and we have Cobb a little bit hobbled. He's at 50% still. And we have Lazard at 89%. He was at 90 in week two. It seems like Lazard is going to be in this role. They talked all offseason that they see him as, because of some of the other things that aren't just fantasy related because of the blocking and, and everything else. Some of the routes for Dobbs were routes where you, they, you know they were in the playbook last year. I think it was his TD where Lazard, they were in a stacked formation. Lazard basically running a clear out. Dobbs getting the target behind him, and Lazard turns into the lead blocker. And you're like, this is – they did this. I've seen this last year where Lazard's doing the same thing he did last year with Devonta Adams trailing him. Now he has Dobbs trailing him. And it looked great. But the, the, they're, they have Lazard in his role is what I'm saying. Dobbs – Long term, and and from this game, I think it confirms everything from the preseason. Long term, I'm like, this guy has to be in the Devontae Adams, and it's going to happen by week 10. Concern is in weeks four, five, six, and seven, we're going to see Cobb still at 50%, Lazard still at 90%, Watkins, because he's been at 67 and 62, but he misses last week. Whenever he comes back, maybe he's not completely gone. Maybe he's at 40%, right? And Watson is at 30% of the routes in a way that puts Dobbs from the 94% routes that he had this week down to 70%. He was at 60 in week one. He was at 45 when Lazard was back in week two. So 70% with Lazard in the lineup would be a big step forward. 
but it would be a pretty big drop off from the 94% we just saw. It's one of the things that's troubled me with like Rashad Bateman, for instance, he's running these routes per dropback numbers in the seventies, just because kind of because of the way that the Ravens run their offense, they do a lot of stuff that doesn't even include receivers that has all the tight ends on the field. Bateman looks fantastic, but you just don't get enough target volume and he has to be so efficient. He's been so efficient. It's been great. But the whole range of what he can do throughout a game is different when he's not out there for 90% of the routes. I'm concerned that Dobbs is going to have to go through a stretch now where the Packers, what the team is going to do is not what we think the team is going to do or should do. I mean, yeah, part of the reason he got the eight targets was he was out there for 94% of the routes. Yeah, I don't think that Dobbs is going to be someone who is playable at the level of a Garrett Wilson or a Drake London, just to be clear. I do think that in some of these deeper leagues, and and you and I had kind of a fun discussion about starting him on our dynasty league last week, and thankfully we did. Yeah. Hat tip to you on that. We needed to start a player, so. Yeah. (laughs) It had to be someone. Yeah. The thing that I like about this, and maybe the reason I'm not as concerned, is I don't think we would have... We wouldn't have any of these concerns if Romeo Dobbs had been drafted in the range that Olave and Wilson and those guys were drafted. Now, that's still very relevant. Where Watson was drafted. (laughs) If Dobbs would have been drafted where Watson was drafted, I wouldn't really care. Probably, probably. Blair's got some really cool research sort of on the routes and on the yards per route element where he talks about how one of the best uses for that kind of thing, as opposed to mostly just pure yards giving you the the information that you need are for these guys who are not full-time players. I mean, so many of the players who actually contribute, I mean, you contribute because you're a full-time player, but also I mean, you're a full-time player because you're a star. I mean, the team doesn't take you off the field. It's for these young players who are emerging. And one of the things that then does happen is that they emerge and they play more. I think that what you're saying could be an issue, but there are so many positives. You talk about, the the quick read types of targets that he got in this game he got one in week one and mangled it and as they were running off the field he was like trying to encourage Aaron Rodgers he had one in week two and didn't turn around fast enough his head turned around yeah and after the play Aaron Rodgers laughed at him not in a mean way but just like dude you don't have it yet they came back in week three and as opposed to him being sidelined for messing those things up he is the guy that these things didn't have a go choice. through. They didn't have a choice. He had to be the guy. Well, I mean, you always have a choice. There are always, I mean, you could have thrown every play to Alan Lazard. You could have incorporated the running backs even more. Now, he said, I mean, these guys have been involved, but I mean, one of the, the theories for where they were drafted, and I think to an extent it makes sense so far, but that you could have two running backs on a huge number of plays, a huge number of running back targets on all different types of design. I'll throw a different number out at you because I do think it's kind of fun. I mean, the the Packers have the ability to be so efficient that it matters less. But we were talking about some of these weak teams in the previous episode and where they were in terms of points per drive, all that kind of thing. But one of the numbers we also brought up for a few teams was the, the seconds to snap and how the Jets were down there at just over 21 and how that had to bounce back and be a little bit more normal with the younger, inexperienced quarterback the Packers are over 30 seconds to snap. And this isn't something that like just happened this year. So uh, one of the very tiny things that you have to not necessarily be concerned about, but understand about the Packers offense is that they don't, I mean, they're not going to be one of these Tom Brady, Bill Belichick revenge teams where they go out and try and put up 50 points on you. I mean, they're going to try and get ahead early and sit on it and and, and really sit on it the whole way, but be efficient with their drives, not let the opposing team get the ball very much, limit the number of plays, and let Aaron Rodgers be efficient and mistake-free on those plays and win the game that way. So that part of it, I mean, you think about, well, so much of his scoring was very early in the game. I don't think that that's something that's going to be that unusual, and that's frustrating when we talk about, well, I mean, you could be the Washington Commanders and be terrible, but be chasing three touchdowns and air them all out in the fourth quarter every week and get similar types of production. Yeah. I mean, I think you put that well, I mean, I think that's what, what the Packers are and that I, it's almost certain that the time they take to snap the ball is part of their efficiency. Rogers is diagnosing things pre-snap. He's taking his time. 
They're getting to the line. He's looking. He's understanding what the defense is doing pre-snap. And it's helping him prior to snapping the ball make decisions that other offenses, their quarterbacks are sort of making during the play. (laughs) They're, They're diagnosing the defense and those things what their look is, what he's seen on, on film. I mean, this guy's enough of a veteran that he can do that. And, and there's other quarterbacks that can do it quicker even probably. I mean, Tom Brady plays quick sometimes and still does a really good job of this, of diagnosing what the defense is showing him. The efficiency is always going to be a positive. I guess I'm just concerned that – I'm, I'm not even concerned. I'm, I'm over the moon about Romeo Dobbs, let's be honest. Like that was – you mentioned on our last show the Devonta Smith thing was your favorite thing from week – Three, it was a huge one for me too because we have a ton of Devonta Smith. We were talking a lot about it. You either take AJ Brown or you take Devonta Smith because they just they were both mispriced. You might not want them on the same roster, but take one or the other. And I think we have them on the same roster a few times as well because they were just so mispriced. My but my favorite thing was Romeo Dobbs. I mean, seeing the the, the thesis and be accurate, seeing him be as close to Devonta Adams as a a rookie could look in week three. I mean, there's no, like, it's a blasphemous comp- comparison, but there's no way he could have looked more like Devontae Adams in this offense. It was perfect to see. And I think there is a possibility that they go back and they say, look, we have to play him 90% of the rounds, which would be just so exciting in week four. I mean, that would be the most bullish thing you could see is if they come back next week and they use him the same amount. And they're just like, this is our guy now. He's going to go on to be a superstar. And that's in the range of outcomes. I mean, and, and then he could go on to be a, one of the best rookie receivers this year. He could be on the Garrett Wilson and Drake. We could be sitting here next week talking to him on the Garrett Wilson, Drake London spectrum. I mean, that's possible. But if he falls back to 70% and he's in that range for a while, I think he's still startable, actually, because I think what they showed was optimistic enough. And what you talked about with the air yards and everything, that was actually one thing where I think I'm maybe more optimistic and maybe not putting it well enough. I think he's close to a startable as Garrett Wilson and Drake London already just with the whole range as you know with that upside that I just talked about being a part of the range if he falls to 70% he won't be for week five but I'm excited to play him in some leagues where I'm not as deep a receiver as a guy that I think because what I'm looking for what I'm hoping for when I said right at the beginning was that he stays at 80% doesn't go all the way to 70% you know maybe you can't say at nine but if he stays at 90 that's when we go crazy but if he stays at 80 even I think he's good enough. And the way they used him enough, that would be a bullish shine in itself. He might not have the ability to earn eight targets over the course of a game on that number of routes, but he'd be at six or seven. If he's down at 70, he might be at five, right? And so there's this question of how many targets is he going to need? They're going to be efficient. And he was efficient in this game. And he gets some of those air yards plays we're talking about. He might only need five sometimes to, to have some big games, like we've seen from Bateman, for, for instance. But I'm really hoping we see the 80% plus routes. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic, but and he is not a sell high candidate. No, absolutely not. The and especially in dynasty, he's not a sell high. We were lucky enough to have him on our RV Triflex team. Have him on a number of those teams in the late rookie draft leagues, just you know desperately trying to move in to get him in the late second because already after the first couple of preseason games, he should have been priced at the one, two border, he should have been more expensive than Christian Watson. That doesn't mean that Christian Watson still couldn't come out and end up being the guy. It doesn't mean that if you hold now that you're guaranteed to win. I mean, there's still plenty of outcomes where it ends up being disappointing, but in terms of the entire range and the probabilities now, you should not be, as we were trying to do the cut down to get down to our roster, which is one of the dynamics of the RP Triflex. I mean, he was not an option. He was not an option to move in order to get to the point. So we were having to move a lot of guys. You mentioned uh, some of the names that we did, you know, fortunately get Debo. rid of like Cole Komet. Yeah, we, Cole Komet. Yeah. Just because relative to where they were priced, they made sense potentially to move. I mean, even Debo were probably not thrilled about, but relative to where they, even though we like those guys, Dobbs relative to where he was priced was made no sense. Yeah, you couldn't move him then. I don't think you can move him now. He's just solidified that a little bit. Then the other another player we debated a little bit starting this week, and I think started once, but mostly didn't. And, and fortunately, uh, because we have so much wide receiver depth, and you're really hoping, I just you get that glimpse, and you want to put the guy in. You want to put the J.K. Dobbins in when he's healthy, or healthy-ish when he's active, but. 
the main thing that I'm looking for from one Traylon Burks is to emerge by the time that the buys roll around to be a weapon there. This game would have been very different if he just gets in instead of being tackled at the one yard line. But beyond that, what are your thoughts there? Obviously, Robert Woods more involved and more effective in this game than he'd been in the first two weeks. Derek Henry <laughs> catches many more passes and is more dynamic as a receiver than we normally get. This was one of the throwback types of games, not throwing that far back, but where Ryan Tannehill looks good playing off of a more effective Derek Henry performance. That kind of thing is probably good. I mean, if this offense completely melted down and you went to Malik Willis, there'd be a lot of fun and exciting things about that from a fantasy perspective, but that in its own way probably would limit the potential for a Burks breakout. He does have, I mean, I, the pass I don't believe was perfectly thrown. It would have been actually a good catch, but he does have the drop on the fourth down, which hurts the team quite a bit. I mean, they they come out, they they win the game, which they needed to, but what are your thoughts after, I know feeling pretty optimistic after week two, and there was a sense that that Burks could also be featuring in this discussion of young wide receiver breakouts. Yeah, you know, in terms of buying and selling and all of that stuff, I mean, you might, uh, uh, our, our listeners might be in leagues where they can still acquire Burks, and I think he's a screaming buy. The, the optimism after week two was that even though not, you know, he hadn't run a whole lot of routes. He'd only run 30 total routes with the, th through the first two weeks that he had earned a ton of volume on those routes. And, and especially in week two, he came out as a starter, got targeted on the first play. They didn't end up throwing a lot of passes in that game. They pulled their starters. They got blown out by the Bills in week two. But his targets per out run the first two weeks, 0 0.39, 0 0.35. You're talking about just a ton of targets per route. And the, the optimism was before they pulled the starters, he actually ran a route on up on 73% of dropbacks. He had been down at 38% in week one. It was 61% overall in week two, but 73 with Ryan Tannehill percent. Week three, he runs around on 96% of dropbacks, very similar to the Dobbs thing. He was out there for the whole time, except for they didn't have anybody missing. They just used him as a full-time player. His targets per route that were up over 35% of his routes down to 7%. He just didn't get a lot of, you know, didn't earn targets, however you want to frame that. But yet his whole sample now for three games, to your point about how Blair has talked about this, it's my favorite way to look at it too. His whole sample now shows the targets per route run that's very strong. It's up over 20% of routes. And he's now running the full slate of the routes. You're not going to keep these small sample, high targets per route run numbers when you are running around every single play, because some of that might be sort of scripted when you're in the smaller route shares, but he's a, a full-time player now, and he's already shown some target earning ability, even with the week three, which there's just target variance sometimes uh, with receivers, obviously week to week. So anyway, the role change was the really exciting element. We thought that after week two, that you know, he gained so many routes from week one to week two, the Titans needed something. They got something from Robert Woods, which was actually really helpful and probably was driven a lot by Traylon Burks being out there so much. I mean, one of the things we talked about was they had to use Burks to open up Derrick Henry, and they had to use him to open up the passing game because they didn't have anything else working. And they did that. They recognized that. It did help Henry run the ball. Probably helped Robert Woods. I'm not saying Traylon Burks was everything, but he was the main difference between their offense in weeks one and two was that he was out there every single play drawing some attention. And I, I think it was a difference for their whole offense. Looks like he's going to be out there from here on out. I think you have to be thrilled. You have to be very excited. The only concern for me is everything that A.J. Brown went through over the last few years in this offense. It's a Tennessee Titans offense. It's what Kyle Pitts is going through in Atlanta. I mean, they're going to have games where they only have 20, 25 dropbacks. And so you have to be really good on that opportunity when you're only getting to run 20 routes or whatever. But no, I mean, first two games combined, 30 routes. I wrote selling signals after week two. We might get a chance to see him run close to that many in week three alone. He ran 27. In week three, basically ran as many in week three as he did in the first two weeks. That playing time bump is very exciting. And the overall sample shows that he can earn targets and he's been efficient on 8.8 .8 yards per target so far. Yeah, I'm very excited about Burks and putting out buy offers for him there. Obviously, you have to 
I mean, when you're talking about buying low on Traylon Burks, you're still talking about making a very sizable offer. So keep that in mind as you're interacting with, you know, your fellow. Here's a question. Managers. Last week, you said we should trade DJ Moore for Traylon Burks straight up in Dynasty. I got a question from a listener that asked, do we do that in redraft? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Redraft is trickier because, uh, I mean, the issues that you're talking about with the offense, sometimes seeing them manifest so clearly again, you... A.J. Brown scored points in this offense. We think that Traylon Burks can score points in the offense. But one of the things that became increasingly clear to me sort of over the offseason and then in the you know run-up to this year was like just how little they had managed to use A.J. Brown, even given the fact that some of that had been health-related. And just, I mean, A.J. Brown is a monster. It's going to be difficult for Traylon Burks, even though we really believe in him, for them to do that. I mean, the Titans are at 1.6 points per drive. I mean, you're just three games through. That could jump up a little bit, but they have no wide receivers over 150 yards. Derrick Henry is at 3.6 yards per carry, but that's despite the fact that he's fourth in broken tackle percentage behind Josh Jacobs, Aaron Jones, and Nick Chubb. All of this is kind of going back to the point, which nobody who's watched them play through three weeks is you know, going to come as any surprise to, but I'm worried that the offense will be will just be bad. And so now that you're dealing with two bad offenses and you have one player who's more established, I wouldn't be against doing it in redraft. I think you would have to do it in dynasty for some of the reasons we mentioned on last week's show, where you're talking about guys in the 25, 26 year old range can be overvalued in dynasty because people look at the dynamic of peak age, look at the dynamic of what needs to happen in the short term for them not to lose value, you know, all of those types of things. But it is one of the reasons why we draft redraft teams that look like rebuilding dynasty teams. And uh, if you just need one really quick rule of thumb to help you know if your drafts are good, it's like, does your redraft team look like a rebuilding dynasty team? If it does, then you're probably going to be in good shape when you hit those bye weeks. What, what What's your thought on that? I had a hard time with it. That's why that's why I asked you. And, I, and I'm so biased with DJ Moore. Like I, I, I think everything you said was exactly what I what I would have said. I, I don't think I responded to it. I think it was a, a DM. I get a ton of Twitter DMs. Sometimes I catch them and I, I think about them and I don't get a chance to actually get back and respond. So I apologize. Hopefully that listener is catching the, that answer now. But I, I was right when you started talking about, you know, Burks, I thought that was a great and buying low. I thought that was a great question to bring up. I had a couple people ask us if we met Dynasty when we talked about that DJ Moore Traylon Burks trade last week. So again, glad we brought this up because I think a couple listeners were confused if we were talking redraft or Dynasty last week. We we're talking dynasty. I did clarify that with those that asked last week, but this week we're we're talking redraft, and it, it it's it's tough. I'm I'm very concerned about DJ Moore. I do think it just takes a little bit of change with the Panthers. I mean, it's one of those things where, I mean, we look at the Jaguars. I don't think they're doing everything perfect. We're getting a really good sense of how bad Urban Meyer was for them last year, and that's something we talked about with even like Lavisca Chenault, for example, which 
Obviously, that doesn't matter anymore. I'm not trying to bring it all the way back to our players that we like, but especially with Trevor Lawrence, right, who was way below expectation on, on like the completion percentage over expected mark is one that a lot of quarterback analysts like to look at. He was significantly negative, one of the worst in the league in 2021. This year so far, he's been comfortably above and doesn't really have great weapons. We kind of joked all offseason. They went and signed some mid-level players for a lot of money. But just, I think Doug Peterson's done a good job. I think Lawrence has probably taken a step forward. But you're talking about a team that was coming from the worst possible scenario from a scheme and coaching and everything perspective that there's only room to go up. And if it, it actually goes up to something that's positive, and I think Doug Peterson can probably be called now a positive for them, right? And we would have maybe expected that given he had so much success with the Eagles. You can get a lot of change from one year to the other just on how this team, this coach is implementing a scheme with re- relatively similar talent. I think Christian Kirk is a good player. I think Zay Jones has played well, but relatively similar talent. Anyway, point being, when it's that bad, there's this thing that I was calling last offseason like the situational regression, these factors that we can't quantify. With the Panthers, that's so bad right now. And I think there's a lot of ways that can regress. Baker plays better or settles in. I don't know. They change something with their route combinations or offense, or they do something different at some point. They pull Baker. They fire Rule, and somehow that has a positive effect, even though I don't know that that would be the end-all, be-all. I just want Rule to get fired because he doesn't deserve to coach a team, (laughs) which is just a mean and rude thing to say. But, man, guy's not a very good coach. But DJ Moore's situation is so bad that if something were a catalyst in a positive way, like his, his situation could get better, not a lot better. And we talked about that on the last show. Burks is in a situation that you described that even the great AJ Brown, who's probably the greatest receiver of this generation or any had a hard time succeeding it. So Burks is going to have to be like the second best receiver of all time to even be what AJ Brown's been. So I do like the fact that Ben has embraced the hyperbole on that. One of the things here is that right now, I think it's 50-50, and you probably want to almost hedge a little bit still in the direction of DJ Moore. But there are going to be a lot of scenarios where Traylon Burks could actually have a breakout game, and DJ Moore would bounce back a little bit. And some managers would be looking to make that swap because you have kind of the sell high off of the enthusiasm of the game. I do think that if you once you get a big game, from Burks to where his quarterback, his coaching staff, everyone there is more comfortable with him doing it, that that will lead to the type of role that gives you not consistent upside, but the occasional significant upside to where you prefer to have that on your roster as opposed to DJ Moore. Again, not everybody's going to be willing to make the trade once once Traylon Burks actually has a big game. But I think that there will be for psychological reasons, again, just for fantasy football reasons, for regression reasons, why people would think that it would be a still a good move to make to try and acquire DJ Moore after you get a big game from Traylon Burks. But I would lean to Burks after we get that. Then we're sort of cruising toward the, the fourth quarter of this show. And we did have one other young wide receiver who looked. Before we move on, my favorite point you made last week about this DJ Moore and Traylon Burks dynasty trade conversation was to talk about dynasty or think about dynasty in a little bit of more of a redraft focus because of how their values can shift. And this also ties back into Dobbs. I was just sitting here thinking about it. Everything we've talked about so far kind of ties together, but I'm a little bit worried about Dobbs route share in the, in the first couple of weeks, but I thought it was interesting. You said you were kind of not concerned about Sammy Watkins anymore after week three, after seeing that. I don't think I'm concerned about Christian Watson anymore, like at all for Dobbs in terms of a long timeline, in terms of dynasty or even late season this year and redraft. I think Watson doesn't have that skill set. It's so rare for Dobbs to do what he did and look so much like Adams, frankly. Watson, I don't think can even be that guy this year or potentially ever, right? Like for any player to, to do that. I think what we got in week three was confirmation that Dobbs is the future of that role in this offense. Watson, we already kind of got confirmation in week one is the future of the Marcus Valdez-Scantling role. The Adams role is way more valuable. And so if from a redraft focus on Dobbs' long-term, it just goes back to why he's untradeable. I just thought this was an interesting point to, to come back to. I think this is why I'm so excited about Dobbs from what we saw. 
I think from a redraft perspective, he's going to be good this year and he's going to do enough good that he's going to raise his profile even more from this point forward. That's why it's sort of a buy high in my mind. There's almost no way we can get through the first year healthy without him looking like the future of the Packers wide receiver core in that role. And Rogers is going to be there a couple more years. Do you think that's a good application of that point you were thinking? Like, I, I think he should be way above Watson in dynasty value now. Is that too aggressive? I don't think it's necessarily too aggressive. I would put Watson's ceiling as higher than what you're saying. And I think it can be a 1A, 1B situation. I think that Watson can be a vertical threat and a manufactured touch guy in a different way. I think that he can be one of these players who, at least previously in the Aaron Rodgers offense, where you have a number two, number three receiver who easily gets into the double digits and touchdowns. They're running the offense a little bit differently than they were during I mean, it's hard to say that we're not in the Aaron Rodgers golden years because he's coming off back-to-back MVPs. But what we saw from them, you know, when maybe he's more 30-ish than 40-ish. But I I still like Watson there. But yeah, I I was surprised that they didn't flip in, in training camp. I mean, we had all of the information at that point. It's just hard when you're not an early pick because those guys, even in the second year, after they've proved it in year one, they have to prove it again in so many cases, even though you would think that the the coaching staff, the general manager, we, we saw that. And again, this may be something we can put on the Urban Meyer influence and all of it. But when James Robinson came out and established himself instantly as one of the best running backs in football, and yet the Jaguars saw fit to draft a first round pick on top of him. And now they have either a waste of resources or an embarrassment of riches at the running back position, depending on how you look at that there. We do have another young wide receiver who was extremely exciting through two weeks and then hit a little bit of a unfortunate hurdle in week three. It contributed to our chasing stolen bananas loss. That would be Jahan Dotson, who you know, was another guy that the team absolutely raved about. Unlike Dobbs, someone who was an early slash mid first round pick. And he just looked so good in the preseason. He looked good in the first two weeks. And then we hit week three. He does have eight targets. So when you look at the target breakdown between these three guys, fueled heavily by garbage time you have 10 more for curtis samuel who's been dynamic but yet probably more involved than we would like to see especially if you have antonio gibson or jd mckissick you're ranting and raving at the tv and just asking for those guys to be used in a little bit more of that role nine targets for mclaurin eight targets for dotson but he collapses from a catch perspective only brings down two of them for 10 yards a pretty stark contrast to mclaurin who goes six for 102 dotson also has a drive killing bad drop late in this game now really not relevant because they were obviously not going to come back against the eagles but it does get you more targets it gets you more fantasy points it keeps that drive alive where maybe your team can do well i was trying to figure out ben how the eagles had not poured on more points in the second half of this game partly it was that they did make a few mistakes on offense partly is that the commanders had some odd garbage time drives where basically the entire sequence as i could tell as i was watching through on the shortcuts would be wildly inaccurate Carson Wentz pass, wildly inaccurate Carson Wentz pass, wildly inaccurate Carson Wentz pass, random penalty, first and 10. And then just repeat that on loop for the last one and a half quarters. (laughs) So Carson Wentz wasn't necessarily helping, but this was a step backward for Jahan Dotson. I guess I don't have strong opinions on Dotson, and I'm kind of curious for, you, you just mentioned how things went negatively. But I guess I'm curious for your breakdown on him. He's ran a ton of routes, 85% or more of the team's dropbacks all three weeks. Great to see. He has not earned a target on more than 17% of his routes in any game. And actually, week three was his highest targets per route run. He was very efficient in the first two games. Had the two touchdowns in week one. And then he scored again in week two, right? So we, we, we ran hot with touchdowns a little bit. I think when you look at his targets per route and how much he's been running, he's not really earning the volume. Some of that is, you know, Samuel getting so much work underneath. Once, you know, he threw to J.D. McKissick a ton this week as well. Uh, Just maybe not pressing the ball downfield, not really being a very good NFL quarterback as we've discussed. But 
McLaurin does get back going this week. Uh, and so getting him involved now with Samuel involved, McLaurin had, what, the nine targets, six catches, 102 yards. Dotson sort of in a similar role to McLaurin in, in terms of, like, target depth. Samuel's doing everything underneath. If McLaurin is sort of the guy as the downfield option, and you have Samuel easily leading the team right now in targets with all this underneath stuff, and you have the running backs getting at least some targets, and, I mean, they've combined for a decent number as well. I guess I'm a little bit pessimistic about Dotson. I mean, he's running a ton of routes. He's out there. It's good, and he's he's gotten the three touchdowns, but not really earning a lot of volume per route. Yeah, outside of the the touchdowns, his you know fantasy value per route has been low. I guess I'm looking at it almost in the opposite direction. This may be a little bit because it's what I want to have happen, but we have McLaurin with 330 air yards and a 57% catch rate through three weeks. Dotson at 245 air yards with a 50% catch rate through three weeks. I think that part of it is a little bit fluky, and I kind of like the guy here who, number one, is the first-round draft pick who has flashed enough early to be a sort of a full partner with these other two players through the first three weeks. I like the fact that he doesn't rely on the purely manufactured touches like Samuel, and also from a long-term perspective is probably not as reliant on actually making these deep catches that Terry McLaurin is. I mean, that's one of the problems that we've had with McLaurin over the last several years. And you go back and through, look through the the area yard leaderboard and you try and figure out how McLaurin hasn't scored more points. And partly it's just that the area yards aren't going to be as valuable when you're getting them from quarterbacks who are not as strong. And so much of what he's gotten in the last several years are, more i mean almost hail mary-ish type of passes i also don't know that he is going to be quite as dynamic in terms of making plays on the ball as dotson perhaps can be now with mclaurin you get a lot of highlight plays where he makes these fantastic adjustments in the air high points the ball and then you have a variety of plays where you think a little bit more physicality or a little bit more intuitiveness on some of that would maybe lead to more catches so depending on what you want to see you're going to see some different things there but i like the fact that dotson is at this role where there's a lot of embedded value in the targets and yet probably won't be as week to week in terms of whether or not there's anything there at all i mean terry mclaurin has that elijah moore risk where you can get a lot of zeros i think that what we've seen here from dotson is going to be the weakest game of the season the touchdowns are probably fluky, but when you have a guy who has been bragged about by the team in this way, get off to that fast start. He's also been a player who's been the target on some of their two-point conversions. I'm pretty excited about him. I do think that when there are two other guys who are legitimate threats and you're in an offense that has poor quarterback play, you're not going to be an automatic week-to-week start. I mean, he's going to have to actually jump ahead of them to be such a clear-cut start when there are weaknesses in the offense. And in a lot of ways, this offense has been probably inflated by the garbage time over the first three weeks. I guess I'm not convinced we'll be there. You could have games where you trail and and still don't get to run that many plays in the third and fourth quarters. They're going to have some of those games as well. Those could be very demoralizing for your Terry McLaurin managers especially. Yeah, that is well put. I don't, I mean, I don't really have a lot to add. I think that's, I mean, it sounds like you think Dotson's a pretty good buy low right now. I would be buying. I guess I would assume the enthusiasm, generally speaking, is still pretty high as well. I mean, is he is he going to get lost in in the enthusiasm for some of the other guys? Or yeah, maybe it's higher in the market than it is like in my own head because I wasn't necessarily as high on him. But I mean, I, I guess I'm thinking through like his ADP wasn't very high for a first round receiver. I mean, there already wasn't a lot of draft enthusiasm for him. He started hot. People who bought into him, though, maybe were just taking, you know, him at price because he was so cheap and, and aren't really like necessarily true believers in this case, that they just thought that they were getting a good a good value on a first round receiver that even in rookie drafts was going behind, you know, second round receivers and Sky Moore and his price didn't make any sense now that you bring that up. I mean, I think that the enthusiasm in Dynasty is going to be there. You're probably not going to be able to buy low there. In redraft, a possibility. The only reason we don't have him on every team, and we do have him on a decent number of teams, but when I mean, he was going in that same range with Garrett Wilson and 
<laughs> Romeo Dobbs. <laughs> so much, yeah. I mean, for a stretch there, he was going even later, and there were some teams where you're – you can almost frame it as the rookie receivers were just also cheap. The, your, your roster by that point of the draft already had enough of, enough of them that you had to take some running backs and some other players. But there was a stretch where he was going on like round 14 in some drafts. Did take him in some of those, even in some high stakes stuff. You know, I took him in a couple of the spots, but I don't think Wilson was ever going quite that late. You know, eleven, sometimes even the twelfth for Wilson. But anyway, it's uh, all the rookies were cheap. Dotson was the cheapest, so I guess I was th- wondering if the market might not actually love him that much. He hasn't been that productive either. Only has about a hundred yards, the three touchdowns. I think you might be a little higher than the market, but maybe I'm misreading the market. I'm gonna get out there and do some buying. Yeah. Makes sense. And with that, Ben, that'll get us to the end of another episode of Stealing Bananas. So fun to chat with you about these young receivers. Anytime that you have a bad injury, you don't get those quarterback points you need to win in a particular week. The quarterbacks aren't necessarily the most relevant fantasy position, but on a week-to-week basis, when you make the wrong start-sit call, if you don't have a Lamar Jackson, if you don't have a Jalen Hurts and you lose – then you spend the week thinking about quarterbacks. But if you need to bounce back from that, nothing makes you feel good like talking about young NFL players who are fun to root for now and are going to be fun to root for for the next decade. We'll be back at the end of the week, talk a little bit about insights from the Thursday night game, look ahead to what should be a fantastic week four. Can't wait for that. I'm Sean Seal with me as always is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretch. Make sure you sign up for Ceiling Signals. People contact me all the time to let me know their favorite part of Ben's most recent articles. And one of the things, too, that people have been mentioning and just I think is such a a great compliment is the way that he's written about some of these injuries and some of the fantasy repercussions and, and what's happened for teams and how it's just so cathartic to have someone with Ben's investment, but also writing skills to talk about what that felt like. And then obviously what you can do and all those types of things. So it's not just numbers. People are really enjoying the reading experience of Stealing Signals. If you're not subscribed, you're missing out. Make sure you do. Also sign up for the Stealing Lions project with Dalton Cates. If you miss on your redraft team for the week, but hit on that big bet, make a bunch of money, that will make you feel good. We'd love to have you guys over at Rotoviz. So much stuff going on there, but I do want to mention that Dave Cabin has multiple new tools up that will blow your mind. So much information from our Sports Info Solutions package that is into these tools. If you're trying to do things like DFS, if you're trying to do your start sits, his wide receiver cornerback article number one, and then matchup tool number two will take you places you didn't think you'd go with the fantasy data he also has a really cool new team advanced stat explorer out there. So the team perspective, in addition to the player advanced stat explorer that we have, we'd love to have you guys. If you want 10% off, you can use the coupon code RV Radio 2022 when you check out. Leave us a rating and review, sign up for the feed. Good luck on Thursday night. You get off to that fast start and makes the entire rest of the weekend easier to enjoy. And it makes it more like a 3D win. We'll talk to you guys soon.